Let's play a game. Try and match one of these so-called jokes with the later corresponding segment. Let's attack that building. You mean that building full of people who get to decide who goes to prison for attacking which building? Yeah, yeah, that building. Don't like how your kid is acting? Well, go to a therapist and spin the diagnosis wheel. You could win a diagnosis of autism or transgender. If it lands on ADHD, we'll give them some uppers. Heck, maybe we'll give you some uppers. Hey, it landed on, they're just a bad kid and it's genetic. We don't allow that answer anymore. You get a free spin. A gun put an innocent black man in a chokehold and murdered him. You got your normal kind of black man, and then you got the wrong black man. So here we go on this episode of the Anti-Woke Podcast. Subway chokehold. Is it murder? Can you defend yourself these days? A 30-year-old schizophrenic black man was acting crazy on a subway car and a 24-year-old white man put him in a chokehold for quite a while and the black man is now dead. And I first heard about it from headlines from commentators on the right like George Floyd 2.0 or is this the new George Floyd? But facts are still coming out but it sounds like uh, this crazy black guy who's known for acting crazy on the subway got onto a car. I guess he just got his hand into the do- the closing doors. And then, he w- and then he got into the middle of the car and started screaming that he didn't have food, he didn't have anything to drink, he was not afraid to go to prison, he was not afraid to die. And then everyone seems to agree on that part. And then some reports... Say he said something like, I'm going to hurt someone on this train, or I'm going to hurt people, or something. And then other reports don't mention that, so that part may be important. And I'm not sure exactly what he said there. I don't think his opening speech was caught on cell phone camera, although the chokehold, I think that towards the end of the chokehold, that was what was caught on camera. But he did his crazy speech. I think everyone agrees that it was scary. People on the car were like this is a scary situation and they were they wanted the other people on the car wanted off but there was a 24 year old white guy former marine and i think he was behind the black guy and he came up and put the black guy in a chokehold and the coroner called it death by chokehold i feel like that's not an official way to describe it but that's that's what he said And so, don't know exactly, but it was a 15 minutes of chokehold, and a couple other passengers were helping him hold the guy down. The guy was thrashing around, trying to kick, whatever, he's trying to get out, trying to get out of the chokehold that he was about to die from. I mean, once you put someone in a chokehold, you kind of have a tiger by the tail. As soon as you let go of them, they're going to attack you. He may or may not have been about to assault someone previously, but he was going to assault someone after that. And the car got to a stop. Here's here's another part. Don't know exactly the timing on this. 
it's gonna, you know, exactly what was said and the exact timing is gonna be very important. But it sounds like right at about the time the chokehold started, they got to a stop and the doors opened. And so, you know, may, why, why couldn't you just release the chokehold and run away? Or you were just getting in the middle of the tussle? We don't know on that. And then I think there was a long segment of the car going down the tracks. And that was, that was where they got the long segment of the chokehold. Now... Self-defense, you can protect yourself, and you can also protect the people around you, even if, you know, if you're not directly threatened, but the people around you are being threatened. You can do self-defense, but you can only do it so long. It's kind of like George Floyd. It is kind of like George Floyd. I forget how long the knee on the neck continued after George Floyd stopped moving, but that was, you know, that was the problem. You can't keep your knee on the neck, because I think it was a long time afterwards. And this guy, this guy, I want to say they kept going a minute, he kept the chokehold going a minute after he stopped moving, but I'm not sure. Basically, that's going to be another important part for the, is he going to get charged? That day, the cops interviewed the 24-year-old and let him go, but Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan Soros-backed DA, uh, the DA that has never met a criminal he didn't want to let go, unless you're fighting the criminals... Well, he has gotten a grand jury together, and as we say, a grand jury will indict a ham sandwich, so whatever you tell the jury to charge the guy with, they will. And of course, you know, you never get a nice, young, innocent victim. This guy uh, has a rap sheet as long as your arm. He's been arrested more than 40 times, at least four violent assaults. He was wanted for assault. He had recently uh, broke the face bones of a 67-year-old lady on the subway. But of course, the guy doing the chokehold, he doesn't, I don't, as far as I know, doesn't know anything about the long history of violent crimes this guy commits. So that doesn't, you know, doesn't get you off the hook. And the same old stuff that I always say can be said here. For every white guy who kills a black guy on the subway with a chokehold, uh... And it's caught on video. There's probably two videos of a crazy homeless black guy pushing someone on the subway tracks and the train eats him up. And then the media puts one of them into their news show and then they ignore the other ones. Same old, same old. But the interesting thing here is I'm waiting to see what the next crime is. This is like the um, wrong place shootings that I was talking about from a week or two ago. It started with the old white man who shot the 16-year-old black boy for, in quotes, ringing the doorbell. And the media was like, a black man can't ring a doorbell in America. America's racist. And then there was a record scratch as like three similar things happened. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, right afterwards. But you know, it was a 20-year-old white girl got killed who went into the wrong driveway. Uh, there was a cheerleader who got killed by a Hispanic shooter. Oh, and then they, and then no one talked about it. But there was a, there was also the one where the black guy shot the six-year-old blonde girl. Anyways, and then the media was like, you know what? Never mind that thing about the doorbell. We don't want to talk about these other ones, especially the six-year-old blonde girl. So we moved on. And so, like the subway. Everyone on the subway has got a cell phone camera. They're ready to film any sort of crazy crimes that go on there. 
and there's tons of them. So it just makes me wonder if now crimes on the subway are going to get in the news because they're not going to be white on black. And I went on Google News just to check what was going on in the world because I'm getting ready to kind of wrap up this crime segment here. And there's a mass shooting, guys on the loose, I think, in Texas. Like, right then, right when I looked, it's like, oh, another mass shooting. So we may move on to that shortly. Right now, it's Saturday. If there's one on Sunday, then who knows? May not even get into the weekday shows. I mean, America has almost 350 million people. There's something happening every single day, every hour. And I think maybe one in a hundred people has schizophrenia. So that would mean there's over three million schizophrenics in America. And then black people are two and a half times as likely to come down with schizophrenia as white people for some reason. And then America loves it when Basically, a schizophrenic black person meets an early end. Okay, we'll leave that. We'll leave that case there. I guess there was an interesting thing the other day. I was watching NBC Nightly News, see what they're feeding America, and like they didn't have a, a shooting that day, so they had a. Uh, I forget what the what you know what the words were they put on the screen, but they had a shooting retrospective. Like basically they found a, there was a woman who was, there's a parade shooting, Highland, Highland, I don't know, Illinois or something, barely even remember it. But anyways, there was a shoot, some previous shooting, there was a woman who was there at the parade with her kid and maybe her kid, I mean, he was alive and fine, but I think he got shot. So anyways, I don't know if this is going to be a new thing, but if you don't have a shooting that day, you can interview someone who has healed from a shooting in past years. And that way, I mean, you know, you can have, I mean, hell, you could do five of those every single day, every day of the year. And, you know, you can be like, a white man did the shooting. What do you want to say to him? He's going before the judge. Or if it wasn't a white man who did it, you call it gun violence. It's like the gun grew legs, walked into the school and started shooting. Unless the gun is attached to a white man, in which case a white man had the legs. And five or six Proud Boys got convicted for various crimes on January 6th. They're gonna go to prison. I think they're in prison. They're gonna continue to be in prison. Mostly they got convicted of seditious conspiracy, something like that. And I looked it up. It's a law from like the Civil War days. It's what, it's what you did to the the losing side of the Civil War. And they busted it out. They dusted it off. And a bunch of the other rioters, they got charged and convicted, I think, of conspiring to obstruct an official proceeding. The point is, these are conspiracies. And so there's kind of some novel legal theory theorizing going on here. Or these, some of these convictions may go to the Supreme Court and get overturned. But anyways, like normally you think of a conspiracy as multiple people get together with a plan and then they go do something bad. But no one was planning, you know, no one knew that there was going to be so few cops that you could just bum rush the Capitol building and get inside. So no one had a plan. It, it would be, you'd think it would be hard to get them on a conspiracy. 
But the way court cases go is the judge gives instructions to the jury. So it's kind of like the jury decides, but the jury decides based on what the judge says. So that's kind of like the judge decides. And I think generally the instructions that the judge judges, because I think there's many cases, many judges, but I guess they all decided on the same thing. They must have talked to each other. And basically you can, you can come up with a conspiracy in, I don't know, in less than a second without talking. Like a lawyer I was listening to was kind of giving the example of you pull up to a red light, someone else pulls up to the red light next to you, you know, you turn your heads, you lock eyes, you rev your engines, and you drag race. Now, was that enough time to form a conspiracy even though you weren't talking and you were conspiring together to drag race? I have a theory about video games reducing crime. So crime in America peaked in 1991 and then it just went down, down, down until Black Lives Matter, Summer of George Floyd, plus the pandemic. It's been going up, up since. Or actually, it's been, it went way up and then has been holding steady at that up position lately. But my theory is that, you know, in the early 90s, that's when video games started getting good. That's also when I stopped playing them. And, you know, you're just, you're not out and about with boredom, possibly committing crimes if you're at home playing video games. And I know, whatever, young men, younger than me, uh, take video gaming very seriously. They really like it. You might even say they're, some of them are addicted to it. So that's my theory. But um, I have a friend of a friend who's 18 years old. And he graduated from high school, and he was going to go into the military. He was going to do all sorts of amazing things, but I think what he has ended up doing is living at his parents' house with no job, um, playing video games. And then he goes out with his buddies. They're, they're getting their licenses, and then they're going out in a group, having fun, driving around. And, you know, my feeling, initial feeling was like, oh, that's lame, you know, not having a job. I had a job when I was 18. I didn't stay at my, you know, I didn't keep living at my parents' house. I was like, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get out of here. Not because I didn't get along with my parents. Anyways, I thought about it for a while, and here's the difference. After I graduated from high school, I wanted to leave my parents' house. And the reason why, my hobby was not playing video games. My hobby and my friend's hobby was all the same thing. It was drugs and alcohol. And my parents didn't tell me, you got to get out. You know, I'm, they I'm sure they would have eventually, but I was like, I need to get out of here. And I think it's because my hobby was just not a, it was not a good hobby to do at home with your parents. <laughs> I mean, I had little siblings. I don't think they wanted me to be putting a bunch of beer in the fridge. You get the idea. And basically, so that meant get a job, get an apartment. But if my hobby had been playing video games sober style, I probably would not have been so quick to go get a job and get out of the house. So I've taken back some of my mental criticism of these goddamn kids these days, get off my lawn. Go listen to the Blocked and Reported podcast for a long list of all the crimes the crazy black guy has committed. He's repeatedly punched old people in the face. And he once grabbed a seven-year-old and tried to take him who knows where. 
And then left-wing people on Twitter are like, he's just hungry. He's innocent. So some new numbers came out in the Bud Light boycott. And sales of Bud Light are down 26% year over year. So some or all of that decreases from the boycott. Sales are also down in other Anheuser-Busch brands like Bush Light and some other ones. But Anheuser-Busch had an earnings report and they beat their stock market estimates for the first quarter. So I think the stock is up. I mean, it goes up and down every day. And maybe luckily for them, their quarter ended on April 1st and then the transgender ad came out on April 2nd. But they did mention that and they didn't say boycott, but they said, you know, troubling. We, we've dealt with troubling times before with countries that have banned our beverages and things like that. And we think that they estimated that their sales were down 1% total because of it. Right? Anheuser-Busch is, it's called Anheuser-Busch InBev. And it's, I guess the headquarters are in Belgium. And it's a huge company. Probably got 50 different beers and less more. So these are real rough F estimates, but if they're if they're down one percent because of the boycott, well, they make a profit of ten billion a year, and the whole company is worth about a hundred billion. So the boycott's only like a month old, but if it goes on for the whole year, it might cost them a hundred million dollars of profits, and it would shave it would lose in total one billion dollars for shareholders. So if you're the CEO of a giant corporation or you own a ton of stock, then what you want to do is keep raking in the dough while flying under the radar. The way things are is perfect. Change is not good. And up until a year ago, the way for a company to keep a low profile was to promote the absolute maximum amount of gay stuff. That's what every other large corporation was doing so you know you didn't stand away from the pack you were just the same doesn't matter if you're making alcohol or missiles or movies and then about a year ago DeSantis in Florida passed the uh, parental rights and education bill which says you're not supposed to talk about sex and sexuality and gender stuff with K through third grade and then the lion ass media was like oh you're not supposed to talk about gay sex with a six-year-old well we're gonna call that the don't say gay bill all right media set the six-year-old down step away from the six-year-old and initially disney the biggest company in florida they tried to fly under the radar by staying out of it and so transgender rights activists on twitter and the media attacked them. And so they were like, okay, we, we oppose the don't say gay parental rights bill, which got people on the right pissed off, as you've heard. And so going forward, what are companies gonna do? I don't think they know. Does, like, you know, people on the right just want the companies to do nothing. And then people on the left are like, you're racist against transgender people if you do nothing. So companies are not going to go right wing because people on the right just reward you for staying in the middle. And then do people on the left really have that much power? I mean, what they have is a complete lock on the mainstream media. So 
which people are not watching that much. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's unclear. Basically, when, you know, if, if one of these things where no one knows, the answer is time will tell. I think the Army or the Navy, one of those, just got themselves a transgender influencer to promote stuff. And young people are not going into the military, so they're trying to appeal to young people. And I think transgender influencers is one way of doing that. So we'll keep an eye on that one. I think companies are going to keep the rainbow flag. You know, they're going to they're going to wear that as a shield. I think there's going to be less transgender stuff. I guess we're trying to split the baby in just the right part. Some gay bars have started boycotting Bud Light because Bud Light is not standing up to the boycotters. We got a double boycott. I think some other gay groups are criticizing Bud Light, so Bud Light may be, uh, it may be about to get the human centipede action. All right, I looked it up. Um, it's the Navy has hired a drag queen. And the drag queen is also a sailor in the Navy. Let's do a quick news breakdown. Um, 14th of this month, Turkey has their next elections. And if the current President Erdogan wins, then the world is going to con continue getting more Islamic because Turkey is getting more Islamic. And if he loses, the world may get less Islamic. So that'll be interesting. In Ukraine, Russia, there was a drone strike or drone blown up over the Kremlin. And then the Wagner Group guy said he doesn't want to fight in Bakhmut anymore. Don't worry about it. Basically, nothing has happened yet. Or nothing's happening this week. But maybe the Ukrainian counteroffensive is coming real soon. Like a big thing is going to happen. Maybe. And similarly, um, the debt crisis, or whatever they're calling it, the debt limit crisis, whatever. The media's covering that a bunch. That's the thing where, uh, basically, I don't care. If it happens, then I will care. Until it happens, I don't care. It's just something, right, you know, until, it ha until something happens, which it probably will not happen, uh, the debt limit is just something for the media to... You know, it's for all the people on the left to go read articles from the media and scratch that itch. They're like, you know, today I'm hating the Republicans a medium amount, and I would like to hate them a, a high, a huge amount. So can you do that for me? And they're like, yeah, we got this thing that may or may not happen. We can use that to get your hatred up. Uh, and people are like, sweet. And then Clarence Thomas, the African-American Supreme Court justice, who's I think the most conservative out of the nine, He's come under fire because he's, he's friends with the billionaire. I'll tell you what, I wish I was friends with the billionaire. And the billionaire bought Clarence Thomas's family home and lets Clarence Thomas's mom stay there rent-free. I mean, she must be old as hell. And then apparently Clarence Thomas is whatever. He's the black sheep where he's super successful of his family. And so his grandnephew came from a drug broken home situation and Clarence Thomas took him in and the billionaire paid for some, you know, a private school, I guess, for the kid. So anyways, everyone's like, basically, people on the left hated Clarence Thomas because, well, what Clarence Thomas says, the reason why they hate him is because he's the wrong black man. 
Like people on the left, they really wish they had a liberal justice who was a black man. But God damn it, the black man on the court is a conservative. So the media and everyone would like to take him out. Um, but it looks like the Supreme Court, they ain't got no rules. They can do whatever the hell they want. They can take money from whoever they want, uh, etc. They're their own judge. They're the judge of themselves. Like each judge judges themselves for ethics violations and whatnot. And I believe they always find themselves innocent. So the lion-ass media is looking for any dirt they can find on the conservative judges, and I believe they are not looking into the liberal judges at all. So I think the right-wing media is starting to look into the liberal judges. So we, you know, maybe there'll be some gotchas going both directions. I guess one of the liberal judges who's already retired had taken a bunch of money in a kind of unethical manner, but we don't know about the, the current ones. I mean, they're all... You know, it's like it's like you get it's like you get elected um, to a political office, and then somehow, some way, it's always maybe it's different for every one of them, but somehow you end up rich, and it ain't the salary that does it. And I think it's the same. You know, none of these uh, justices are hand to mouth. Basically, what it is, people give them money and you know do favors for them, free vacations, whatever. They don't do it like, hey, if you rule this way in this case, I will give you this money. Like, that would probably take someone out. It's just everyone wants to be friend with a Supreme Court judge. I mean, I'd hang out with one. Why not? In fact, I actually drank some whiskey, some fancy whiskey, out of a bottle that had been poured a glass for the Supreme Court Justice John Roberts. I guess that's as close as I'll ever get. You know, and it was months, months apart but I don't feel bad at all. I learned a cool way to attach two ends of rope together. I'm trying to make a situation where I can hang my phone around my neck, kind of like a necklace, so I can make pods when I don't have enough clothing on with pockets otherwise, or any clothing at all. And I didn't want to tie a knot in it and have like a you know, it'll be a, a small, skinny rope most of the way around, and then it'll have, like, you know, a big jumble of a knot at one point. So I went on YouTube, and I learned this trick. You take a butter knife and put it in a vise or something, and take a propane torch and heat up the blade. And then you take the two ends of your rope, and you push them together where you want them to seamlessly and magically connect, but you push them together right on the hot butter knife. And then you slowly slide the rope away from the butter knife. So now the melted ends touch each other kind of, and you have good control over how they perfectly align with each other. And then you hold it and it cools down and it sticks. And then I yanked on the rope to a few times hard to make sure it was connected. And after a few tries, it was connected. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't use it for bungee jumping. So the Writers Guild of America is on strike. And so that means TV and movie writers are not going to be writing that stuff until the strike is over. And I think the Directors Guild and maybe the Producers Guild, their contract is up in like a month. So they may be on strike here soon, too. I listened to a bunch of podcasts about this. What I could not find out is what if you want to be a scab writer? 
Can you just cross the picket line and be like, hey, I now I'm writing movies, it's awesome. And I don't think you can because I think everything else in the movie industry is unionized and so I think they won't work with you if you're a scab. And union good, management evil, I think is the media narrative we're getting on this. Some of the writers for news outlets are members of the Writers Guild. They're not on strike, but obviously they're going to have a perspective. And I used to be a knee-jerk supporter of unions, you know, the workers, like, hey, take money from the rich, they got enough, and give it to the poor workers. Or in this case, the rich workers. But because of Black Lives Matter and their false accusations of racism against the police, and me looking up what was the real problem, the teachers union is probably the most evil organization in America today. Like an unarmed black man being killed by the police is such a rare occurrence that America will talk about each one for six months. But every day there's millions of black kids being taught by millions of teachers, or are really not being taught. And the teachers union makes sure you can't fire them. Doesn't matter if you want to try a new teacher or try a new system, you can't. Throw another black kid on the fire so the teachers can warm their cold hands. And if you think about any organization, half of the people are below average. And so, you know, the below average cops can't get rid of them. The federal government is nothing but unionized people can't get rid of them. You know, how's your DMV working out for you? Although I guess that's state, but they're in a union too. So like a lot of unions, uh, you know, if you're in it, if you're in, you're in, and you're set for life. But it's hard to get in. They ain't just giving away the tang. Like the longshoremen, the guys who load um, ships, I think they make $120,000 to $200,000 a year. But, you know, your dad or your uncle better already be a member, otherwise you ain't getting that job. And then for the Writers Guild, you need credits. Basically, you need to write for a show or a movie, and then you can get into the Writers Guild and write more shows and movies. Basically, you probably got to know someone as well, or else you're just a phenomenal writer. That might do it. Like, Los Angeles is full of people writing movies who want to be in the Writers Guild, and they're like, well, if someone will just buy my script for a movie and make the movie, then I can get into the Guild. It's as easy as that. I think right now the number one thing you'd want to do to become a writer would be like a black transgender lesbian, but uh, I think historically it was go to a fancy school and then, you know, your roommate or the guy across the hall from you is a writer and you, you call them up and get in. And the media is trying to portray the writers as being poor, but uh, I think their, call it scale, is four and a half to seven, no, yeah, four and a half to seven thousand dollars a week. Now they don't work 50 weeks out of the year, but if they did, you know, they'd be making a quarter million or quite a bit more. Like here's what the media says. They'll say how much money they make and then they'll say, and living in Los Angeles is real expensive. So they're working class. They're not even middle class or upper middle class making a quarter million. So what is the disagreement? What are they striking about and can't come to an agreement with all the movie studios, and streaming services. Well, it's not how much money they make, it's how much they get to work, or how much the studios are forced to make to let them work. It's how much do you get paid for residuals, which is, 
you know, the, you write a show for one year, and then every year after that, how much do you get m money for it? And finally, the interesting one is, what about artificial intelligence? So Andy Bobrow has some stats on Twitter, B-O-B-R-O-W. And he has a graph of the number of working writers. I think a lot of people of the Writers Guild are probably old white men that are so old they don't even write anymore, but they're still a member. And they get to vote for Academy Awards and stuff. But up until 2010, it was a pretty much flat line of about four or 5,000 writers in Hollywood. And I think streaming came on in 2010, and then from there till 2020, it just went up, up, up to maybe about 7,000. So not quite doubled. And don't have the numbers, but I think since somewhere in the pandemic, the number of writers has been going down, down, down. And basically all the streaming services were like, hey, we want to be like Netflix. You know, you just, you print money. You put out a, you put out a bunch of shitty shows and you make a ton of money. But it turns out they're actually losing a ton of money. I think Disney Plus is losing like a billion and a half dollars every quarter. Like no amount of ultra-diverse Star Wars and Marvel shows are saving them. And so the four and a half thousand writers that have always been there, I think those are all white men, you know, who knew somebody. And then I think all the two and a half thousand that have been hired in the last decade, that's basically a bunch of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So women, people of color, non-straights. And you know, get woke, go broke, we don't know, but hiring all that diversity is not turning the uh, streaming services into money-making juggernauts. And so the timing of this strike is interesting for AI, which I'll talk about in a second, but right now the studio, I'm just going to call them the studios, includes the streaming services and the cable channels and blah blah, but the studios are under contract for a bunch of TV shows and stuff and movies that they don't really feel like making. They're losing money. Every, they're spending so much making these shows that that's why they're losing money. And I think if there's a strike, it lets them get out of their commitments to make the shows and movies. And normally a streaming service is like, we got to come out with some new shows, otherwise people are going to drop our service and go to the other service. But if all the services stop making new stuff at exactly the same time, where are you going to go? So the companies may not want this strike to end anytime soon. They may want to really get their pound of flesh. I mean, yesterday, Marvel Studios said they're suspending work on Blade, which is their next black superhero movie. Basically, I think everything in the pipeline is woke as hell. So they're putting a stop, they're stopping all those things. The question is, are they going to replace them with new woke as hell things? Or, you know, is this going to be a win for anti-woke? And the other thing about the timing is AI. Like, a year ago, the Writers Guild could have gotten the studios to agree to anything about AI, because no one thought it was coming. And a year from now, all the writers may be out of work because of AI. So right now we're in the middle of it. And the current thinking is that AI doesn't replace all the people, it just makes them much more productive. So, you know, say a normal show has like 10 writers in the writer's room, well maybe you get rid of nine of them and the one who's left uses AI to just produce whatever, to write the whole show. That's all it takes. Like basically the AI 
writes the show and then the person tweaks it. People had thought that artistic stuff was going to be the last thing that AI was able to do, but it looks like that's actually the first thing, the best thing that it's at. Like if you have AI write you a TPS report about China making widgets, it'll make a nice looking report, but it'll have wrong facts and figures. But if you tell it to write a story about a boy who meets a girl and gets the girl and then loses the girl and then gets her back, um, it doesn't matter if the facts and figures are wrong. And the writer can just tweak some of the dialogue. And so I think the demand related to that is a minimum number of writers kept on for a minimum number of weeks. So if you maybe, you know, if you used to have 10 writers, well, you still got to have 10 writers. Nine of them sit around and get paid, and then the other one does the writing. And the studio's counteroffer to that was that once a year, they would have an official meeting to discuss AI. And then apparently broadcast TV pays f phenomenal div um, residuals. So like if, you know, if you're a writer on NCIS or some broadcast show, you'll get a check every year, I think for the rest of your life, of like 20 grand. But if you write a show for Net Netflix, uh, I heard of someone, they get a check every year for $23, I guess for the rest of their life. And the streaming shows don't really, there's no way to tell how good they are and how much money they're making for the streaming service. Like, I think that, you know, the most popular shows on streaming nowadays is from the 90s, like Friends, I think is a huge one. They got like half a billion dollars. And the writers are like, I want part of that. But if you do some show about black lesbians that's on Netflix that no one watches, or even if everyone watches, you don't know how many people watched it, and, you know, there's no money changing hands. I guess that's, yeah, that's part of the problem. In the old days, there'd be the, per there'd be the people who made the show, and then there'd be the people who distributed the show, or the distributors versus the producers or something. Anyways, there'd be two large corporations involved, and those two corporations would fight over it, and then you could see money changing hands. But now the people who show the show also make the show. And so they're not fighting themselves. And the writers can't get in there and say, we want part of the money of this fight. And so basically, since interest rates were changed because of inflation, like, you know, big tech companies, they've been laying off people like crazy. And it looks like the studios are kind of the same. It's like, oh, you want to go on strike? Well, you know what? We don't even want you to do your writing. We will make more money by not making a show, at least right now. So it'll probably go on a while before someone blinks or flinches. And I guess Netflix is starting to buy up a whole bunch of Korean shows. So that's one thing they can do. Um, reality TV is allowed. And I don't see why they haven't done this yet, but YouTube is full of great reality basically TV shows. And those people would take, you know, a million dollars. You could you could give them a million dollars and be like, "Hey, we want you, we want you to take your show off of uh YouTube and we'll put it on Netflix. Here's a million dollars." And then boom. I mean, I swear to god, I I that's what I watch. Netflix has nothing that I want to watch. YouTube is full of good stuff. I mean, you know, whatever you're into. If you're a 12-year-old girl who's into makeup, they got that covered. If you're a man who likes to watch concrete that isn't hasn't been mixed but you still try and make a patio like me, then they got that covered. And instead of paying a hundred million dollars to make eight episodes, 
You can just pay someone a million dollars and you'll have, I mean, some of these YouTube things have hundreds and hundreds of episodes. So we'll see what happens. I think there's going to be some major downsizing. And then the question is, do you keep all the unqualified, borderline incompetent, diverse people and get called racist? Or do you keep the, you know, those goddamn white men who've been doing it for a long time and you, you hate to keep them on, but they know what they're doing? I guess the viewer is like the black kid in the shitty school in the ghetto. Are they going to get you new teachers or, you know, are they going to are they going to keep the teachers that are actually know what they're doing or are they going to hire teachers based on diversity? Uh, that last analogy or metaphor kind of went off the rails there. Such is the life of a podcaster, one who's not a member of the Writers Guild, although they are expanding the industries that are allowed in, including podcasting. Robert Kennedy Jr. is running for president as a Democrat, and he recently got 19% in a poll. And that's close to DeSantis lately, who's at 25. I don't think anyone actually thinks... Kennedy can win, and maybe it's just the Kennedy name that got him those numbers. I mean, plus people are not super high on Biden. Now, Kennedy is known for two things, being a Kennedy and anti-vax. Now, his dad is Robert Kennedy, the uh, brother of John F. Kennedy. You might have heard of them. And apparently Robert Kennedy had nine kids, so he didn't just get busy, he got busy. And so I guess some of his siblings support him and some of them don't. And he should be Democrat royalty, but he's not because of the vax thing. It's a little weird because I think he's the, he's the old kind of anti-vax. Back when, remember when it was a left-wing thing? Vaccines caused autism in your kids. And it was a belief of like rich, white, woke people in California. Before Trump got involved and the whole thing flipped. And I still haven't found the stat to see if all those woke anti-vaxxers switched because of Trump. I think they did, or the media, obviously the media doesn't talk about it either way. And I don't know what kind of anti-vaxxer he is. I mean, all I've ever heard is what the mainstream media says, so I guess whatever's in my mind is obviously not the truth. But I think he doesn't say, vaccines cause autism and COVID vaccine is murdering people. I think he's like, you know, we should look into these things, which is, you know, that's, that's too far now. So he went on ABC News to do an interview, and I think ABC News has a policy that they don't platform anti-vaxxers and let them say what they want. So they asked them the question, like, you're an evil anti-vaxxer, aren't you? But letting him answer the question would be against their policies. So at the end of the interview, they put a little disclaimer. I'll play a clip. It's pretty funny. We should note that during our conversation, Kennedy made false claims about the COVID-19 vaccines. Data shows that the COVID-19 vaccines prevented millions of hospitalizations and deaths from the disease. He also made misleading claims about the relationship between vaccination and autism. Research shows that vaccines and the ingredients used for the vaccines do not cause autism, including multiple studies involving more than a million children and major medical associations like the American Academy of Pediatrics and the advocacy group autism speaks we've used our editorial judgment and in not including extended portions of that exchange in our interview we th and abc news is owned by disney coincidence and what do i think about vaccines um i did get vaccinated during covid you know for whatever that did
And there's been a huge increase in kids getting diagnosed with autism, but I think, I think it's just a fad amongst um, therapists and psychologists. And then it seems like the COVID vaccine probably was not a good idea for kids or boys of a certain age. But they had to get the jab anyways so that it didn't become a complicated story like, oh, the vaccine is good for these, these, and these people, but not for those, those, and those. The lion-ass media and the lion-ass government was like, that's too complicated, so we're just going to say it's good for everyone. AI segment alert. Quick, fast forward five minutes and check if content still boring or has moved on to something fun like black crime statistics. That stereotypical robot voice makes me think of Stephen Hawking, the guy who was in a wheelchair and talked through a robot voice himself. Um, like he got a robot voice in the 70s or 80s, and then they're like, hey, we've invented a more lifelike sounding robot voice. And he's like, yeah, but no, this is my voice. People hear this voice, that's me. Like, you know, if you could just change your voice, would you change it? So he kept his old funky robot voice. I heard an interview with a guy who's using AI to read people's minds. And this is where you put someone in a functional MRI, fMRI, and it looks at the blood flow in the brain and then the AI translates that to text. And so it takes 16 hours to train the AI on a person. And there's some other AI experiment that um, can turn your thoughts into an image. But this one basically just writes down your inner monologue. So it's kind of like, you know, whatever you think out loud, even though that's an oxymoron. Makes me think there was a feral child, I think maybe in Eastern Europe, whose parents abandoned her when she was pretty small. And then she like lived with a pack of dogs and couldn't speak a language. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know what she thinks when... yeah, I don't know what she thinks when she's thinking, because it ain't words. But anyway, so they, maybe they would, like, have you read something, I guess, and then the MRI would look at your brain, and then they would give the AI, you know, your brain scan, and also the thing that you were reading, you know, the pages from a book or whatever. And the AI would go, oh, okay, this brain scan corresponds to it was the best of times it was the blurst of times and then they would do it you know do it again with something where they didn't give the ai the book you were reading and you would read the book and the ai would put that together and print out the book kind of and they wanted to see if you could do it without reading whatever and they had people memorize a one minute bunch of words and they'd be like saying it over and over right before they went in the MRI saying it out loud and then when they're in the MRI they said it silently only in their head and the AI could turn that into text and so polygraph style lie detector tests do not work and this one would also not be able to detect a lie I mean they've only just invented it who knows in a year But, uh, you know, if you think out loud, I did not kill my parents for life insurance money, then the AI would say, oh, he said he didn't do it. And the guy who's interviewed, he's a university researcher. And so he doesn't talk about how 
this is a revolutionary discovery and he's going to go down in history amongst great scientists. He's like, I'm about to be attacked from the left. Let me try and head that off. So he says, obviously, this should never be used by law enforcement. And this is a left thing that's been going on for a long time, but especially since George Floyd defund the police, it's like if you, you know, if you, you create a magic device that will convict all the guilty people and let all the innocent people go, then the only, there's only one side of the equation that you care about, which is, oh my God, you're convicting people. And you know, I guess those people would be disproportionately black, I think the innocent people would be disproportionately black, but it's like black-on-black crime. No one gives a shit about that part. And he says, anyways, if we train it on one person, we've tried it on another person who we didn't train it on, and it doesn't work anyway. So, so don't, don't come at me, bro, from that perspective. And, I mean, you know, woke, anti-woke, I don't know. You would definitely need a warrant, in my opinion, before you did anything. And he says that, you know, authoritarian evil governments overseas, would they misuse it? Well, they're already doing bad stuff. And a lot of it is just, this thing doesn't work very well yet, so we don't have to worry about it. And it's kind of like, current me microwaves some spaghetti sauce and gets the microwave dirty, and then some future me has to clean that shit. There were some robots playing soccer on 60 Minutes recently. And you can find clips of it on YouTube. That's where I saw it. But basically, I thought AI had figured out how to do artistic stuff and could talk with you and do research, etc. But I thought it couldn't move a, a human robot shape around. Like that was still coming, but it hadn't happened yet. But the answer is, they done it. And they the, the check them out on YouTube. They're pretty crazy. The move the robots move around. They look like toddlers. Like the robot, the robots learn to move on their own, <laughs> and apparently, they're going through a similar experience as toddlers learning to move on their own because they're kind of wobbly and they're, etc. But they they move around pretty good, and the video is all about oh look how they learn to play soccer. That part doesn't matter to me. The part where you have a robot body in the shape of a human, and you can move that around. I mean that is going to be the game changer. How about you make that robot six feet tall and it does your plumbing. It does, it's your electrician. It's your burger flipper. It's everything. I decided to look up feral children on YouTube. And the famous case where they couldn't talk was a girl named Jeannie Wiley, who was discovered in California in 1970. Her mom was blind and she was trying to find the services for the blind department and she accidentally walked into the child services department taking this what looked like a seven-year-old with her and the kid acted like an animal and so they looked into it and it turned out she was 13 years old and all messed up because the dad had kept her in her room for her first 13 years and she knew a few words like blue, go, and mother, but she couldn't talk. And it became, it became a big news item, and so researchers like took her in, and they're like, can we teach this girl to talk? And the answer was a little bit, but not really. There's like old footage of, of her on YouTube, and 
I mean, it looks like she's, I mean, you know, it looks like she's retarded, but happy, at least during the researcher days. But then the money for the research ended and she got thrown into California's foster care system. And apparently that didn't go well and whatever it was they were able to teach her, she lost that. And anyway, it's just a terrible, tragic story. And I guess she's out there, you know, after, after the kid foster care system, she got put into the adult system and she's out there somewhere, 66 years old. And it makes you wonder what uh, a mind reading AI would see inside her head. The End of History is a famous book by Professor Fukuyama. And it puts forward the idea that now that we have good democracies in the world, you know, history used to be like, oh, this country attacked that country, and then this king was taken over by this other king, and then there was a dictator, and blah, blah. But now the world is just going to be a bunch of nice democracies, so that's the end of history. It's just, they're all nice democracies, and nothing changes after that. And I think that idea is from the early 90s when the USSR broke apart. So, seemed like a good idea then. Uh, whether or not that's what's happening now, you decide. But a history professor was on the Glenn Show podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was saying it's the end of history, but in a different way. Basically, it's the end of history professors. And I mentioned last week that fancy universities are hiring ridiculous amounts of employees, but it's those are like middle management jobs, which, you know, by the way, that's the kind that can be replaced by AI the best. But what universities are not hiring is permanent tenured professors. I think they're expensive and you're locked in and you can't fire them, so you just don't do it. And so what they got instead are adjunct professors. Like I heard that term, but I didn't know what that is, but it's kind of like gig work. Like you work for Uber, you know, you just, you're on call or you work when you, you know, you work when you want to work is a good way of saying it, or they give you some work when they want to give you some work is another way. And so adjunct professors, they just do it on a per-class basis. I guess they make uh, from three to $7,000 per class per term. I think that's quarter. I don't know. So that'd be like thirty-six dollars to $84,000 a year if you work in the summer. And that's if you teach three classes every term, which is probably hard to get that work. They're saying that if you graduate from Princeton with a history PhD right now, you're not guaranteed to get a job. Up until, I don't know, last year or something, you were guaranteed, but now even the cream of the crop is struggling. And if this leads to more wokeness, uh, it's not entirely clear. I mean, you can see how you want to mind your P's and Q's and not do anything politically incorrect because you're very easy to be fired. And you might want to make some false accusations of racism against the tenured history professors if you want to slot right into their job. But I think tenured history professors are pretty woke, too. And when old professors retire, they're not being replaced with tenured professors. There's only one type of um, history that is increasing right now. And that's, uh, can you guess it? Yeah, black history. They're hiring for that one. And so, what is history? It's kind of like, what is the truth? It's something I've been thinking about. For instance, what is social justice? We know what justice is, so obviously, you know, if you add a word to something, it's something else. So social justice is not justice. 
I mean, if you're woke, you think social justice is, a f it is justice. It's even better. It's justice 2.0, justice plus. And if you're anti-woke, you might just say it's racism and bigotry, just pretending that those things are good. Racism against whites, etc. And so a guy on the podcast, he, he says there's history, and then his term is metaphysical history. This is where I'm still looking for a good term. You can use it for the truth. Like, you know, I've, I've heard someone say there's the truth and then there's the poetic truth. I mean, you might say the politically useful truth. Like Trayvon Martin, you know, like Black Lives Matter, Trayvon Martin being a cute little kid. That's a very poetic and politically useful truth. The fact that he was a big individual who was banging a guy's head against the concrete, that may be the truth, but it's not, it's not poetic. It's not, it's not useful. And so metaphysics is, it's kind of like not physics. You know, physics is you throw something up and gravity brings it back down. It's the real world all around you. It has rules. You can't really break them or think yourself out of the box. If someone's puts you in a physics box, you can't get out. I mean, unless you open the lid or something. But metaphysics is more about ideas and beliefs and feelings. Another similar word is postmodern, which says that there is no absolute truth, it's just everything is opinion. Like, you know, if a woke person says, oh, that's just my lived experience, and then the anti-woke person is like, well, here are the statistics, and then there is no winning that argument either way, because one of those things is real, and the other one is, well, you know, if you're like, well, I don't go by what's real, it doesn't matter what's real. It goes by what I think and feel. And maybe, you know, going by what you think and feel is good. Maybe it makes the world a better place. The podcast mentions, um, there's a guy, there's a professor named James Sweet. And he's a white guy, but he's a professor of African studies. And I think he's been doing it for decades. You know, nowadays, they don't, white people know not to get your degree in that stuff. But he did it back in the day when, People were not actually studying Africa that much. And he was like, hey, I want to I help black people by studying Africa so that at least someone is doing it. And he became the head of the American Historical Association, which is kind of a history professor association. And he was doing some research in Ghana one time over in Africa. And he went to, it's called Emory something, something starts with an E, Castle. He went to a famous castle in Ghana where they used to hold the slaves before they put them on the boats to ship them over to the New World. And Ghana is the African country that has the most, I don't know, it's the most inspiring or something to African Americans. I looked it up. It was a British colony and it was the first African country, I think period, to get its independence like in 1957. So I think that's why it stands out as being special. It's also much less of a shithole than some of the other countries around it. And I've watched, uh, there's a YouTube channel, I'm sure there's many, where like African Americans move to Ghana and then they just make videos of their life living there. But so this white Africa history professor, he goes to the castle and, you know, they have someone who gives a tour and... The people who go there for tours are African-Americans. And so this person, the tour guide, has a whole spiel that's all about telling African-Americans the stuff that they want to hear 
when they're visiting a castle that was part of the slave trade. And it's a really big, pretty cool looking castle, but I guess, you know, the real, the real history, the history, possibly known as history, is that less than 1% of the slaves that went through this castle went to America. I think they went to Brazil or the Caribbean. And so this dumbass professor who was part of the, who was the head of the American Historical Association, he wrote a paper saying, you know, we should tell what the real history is. And he used, he used this thing as an example of what do they call it? Recentism. Like, you know, you never hear someone say recentism like when they're praising something. But he's like, people are using recentism. Like, you know, this is George Floyd got murdered in America. Now everyone needs to say that this castle was part of the African-American slave history. So anyways, he got canceled. He lost, uh, he lost his job as the head of the AHA. He was tenured, so I think he got to keep that job. Everyone called him racist, even though he'd been helping black people and writing books to help black people for decades. But so the metaphysical history of this castle is that African-American slaves came from there. Or, yeah, or they're, yeah, I mean, and the ancestors of African-Americans today. And I don't know where the slaves really came from. You know, maybe, maybe it came from some sort of castle that got blown up in a war and there's nothing there. So it's much more fun to have this giant castle be where your ancestors came from than whatever, a flat spot where nothing exists. So maybe, maybe the metaphysical history is better than the real history and... You know, not just that it's politically useful and you can call whites racist somehow, but maybe you can feel proud and tell your kid to be proud and then your kid will grow up and get married instead of going down the wrong path or I don't know. I mean, I'm a stickler for the truth, possibly even the truth TM, all caps, but just something I've been thinking about. Go woke the movies. Get broke the movies. The movies got woke and now they're gonna go broke. Let's do entertainment. The Late Late Show with James Corden has been canceled. I think all the late night talk shows have to stop when the writer's strike goes on, so maybe that had something to do with it. It was also losing $20 million a year. I think the show was woke, but I don't think of it as one that was just constant anti-Trump jokes to justify people's hatred like the Colbert, Fallon, Kimmel. But back in the day, I mean, obviously Johnny Carson and even Jay Leno, David Letterman, like late night was big, but it's not big anymore. Maybe shitting on half of America is the problem or maybe it's just the internet or both. But I'm curious to see if in a few years, all those late night shows, if they're still there and they're still shitting on half of America. And there's been a few interesting things going on with Marvel, aka Disney. I'll do the box office in a second. But the rumor is that Marvel knows that its movies are not good. Starting with bad writing. Aha, the writer's strike. And even though everything's on hold, they recently, you know, replaced some writers or hired some writers. And basically Marvel was like, give me anything other than a white man. But now the new, the new people in the replacements are 
give me a bunch of expensive white men. You know, if you get like a first time, you know, if you get a black woman who's never made a movie in her life, uh, which is kind of what they were going for before, they were cheap. But Marvel movies overall cost a ton of money, you know. Maybe they're learning that's not the place to cheap out. Like I mentioned, Blade is, whatever, in limbo now because of the strike. And that stars Mahershala Ali. I think he won an Oscar or two for playing like gay black men or something. He came from a TV show called The 2200. I, I bet you haven't seen that. Find that TV show and watch the first season. It is absolutely phenomenal science fiction. And then the second season is crap. But Mahershala Ali, he started in, I think, the third season of... Shoot, I can't remember the show, but it's the one that had Matthew McConaughey and... It's about crime. I want to say true crime. True detective. There we go. But so Blade originally had a black woman, probably a lesbian, or, you know, or for, you know, I'm sure Marvel was looking for a black lesbian. May have gotten one. Anyways, she was the writer and she didn't have much experience. She like wrote an episode of a TV show or something. But anyways, they hired the guy who created True Detective, which is a you know, middle-aged white guy who costs a lot of money. And then the, everything's on hold because of the strike. But similar things like that have happened to s some other Marvel movies too. And so the rumor is that Marvel knows they're making bad movies, that the writing is bad. Apparently they even know that it's, you know, going for diversity instead of experience is part of the problem. But apparently they don't care. Diversity is more important than the writing, although, like I say, they're starting to hire some different people. That's just rumors. And then there's a guy named Nate Moore who's high up at Marvel, and he did a podcast interview the other week or something. And he said what they're looking for, I guess writers, directors, behind-the-camera people, they're looking for people who do not love Marvel Comics. I think he said, people who love the comic books, that's a red flag. So writers and directors who say in interviews that they never read a comic book in their life, like, that is not a coincidence. I think the early, earlier Marvel movies, which were much more popular, actually, you were allowed to be a comic fan. Alright, and so Guardians of the Galaxy 3 came out. It got $114 million for the weekend, which is not good. I mean, for a non-Marvel movie, that would be phenomenal. But Ant-Man 3, which is considered a terrible flop, and they may have to change everything because it's so bad, it got 106. So 114, a little bit more. Guardians 2, which was kind of back in the golden age of Marvel movies, it got 140 or something. It got a lot more. And so there's this phrase that the woke media throws around to try and cover up for what I think is the real problem is superhero fatigue. And I'm not the first to say this, but people will go, it's not superhero fatigue, it's bad movie fatigue. But if you're in the media, you can't say, you can't say that because the bad movies coincide with all the diversity behind the camera. So you paper over the bad movie fatigue by saying, oh, it's superhero fatigue. Keep an eye out for that phrase. I bet you'll hear it. And so I think Guardians 3, it was 41% uh, white, 26% Hispanic, 
17% Asian and 16% black. And young and male. And I would say those numbers are pretty similar to, I don't know, other numbers I've mentioned here. White people watch a lot less movies in the theater than their percentage of the population. I was thinking about this. Like, you know, I just, I thought of some white people. Like the white people that I know. You know, they're old and they don't go to the theater. On the other hand, it's the largest group in America. So they still are, you know, almost double the next group. And then what I'm watching is Asians being a bigger category than black. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, they needed some diversity. So they brought in a black man to play the villain. And that's what they did. You know, Ant-Man 3 needed some diversity. So they brought in a black man to play the villain. And in neither of those cases did that bring out the black audience. And for a second, I was like, well, why don't they, you know, bring in an Asian villain to bring in the Asian audience? But then, you know, Asian is too broad a category. It's like, you know, if your parents came from India, are you super excited to see an actor whose parents came from China? And then Hispanics, I'm sure they like a smoking hot Latina just as me, but I don't think they're, you know, hankering for a super short person from Guatemala to be in a movie. And so Guardians 3 got an A cinema score. I think Ant-Man 3 got like a B or a B plus. Anyways, below an A is bad. So this is a, this is a much better movie. I guess it has animal cruelty. It's the story of Rocket Raccoon, and he came from an animal testing lab, sort of, or something. I guess, yeah, there. If you were thinking about taking your kids to this, you may want to watch some people talking about it before you do so. And so it used to be that the Marvel name, they could make a movie that wasn't that good, and it would be lifted up because it was a Marvel movie. And it looks like maybe now you could have a good movie, and it's pulled down by the Marvel name. But Guardians 3 is not going to, it's not going to be the decider on what the situation is. Um, it's directed by a white man who loves comic books, and they're getting rid of those kind of people. So it just is, it isn't like the other um, Marvel movies. I think it has a, has a smart script. It's for smart people, so that part's way different. And I'd like to add some recommendations, and I will. But these are for things that I haven't seen, generally. Well, okay, I... I I turned on the Dungeons and Dragons movie. I played that as a kid. I was it got good reviews. I was pretty excited. I made like 50 minutes into it and I don't know. I turned it off and then I was I watched another 10 minutes and then I turned it off again. Anyways, I just can't say that's the slam dunk that I was hoping for. And then I watched the first 40 minutes of Triangle of Sadness. This is a movie that came out last year, I think nominated for best picture. I believe the movie is about um, anti-capitalism or something. Maybe it's, I don't know if it's woke. I watched the first 40 minutes of it, and it's very strange. It's very smart. Um, I kind of recommend it. Even though I, I didn't make it that far, I recommend it. The people are not likable. That's something I hate. But there's a rumor that the young guy who's in Triangle of Sadness, he may be the guy who's picked to play Superman. That was why I was checking it out. And I like him. He would make a great Superman. And he's just your typical young, handsome actor, British. And I was looking at what he made previously, and his first big movie was him playing a gay guy, even though he's not gay in real life. And it made me think of Timothy Chalamet. If you know, he's in Dune and, I don't know, stuff. He's like a big star nowadays. 
He also started his career by playing a gay guy, so there's something about super handsome young white guys that old gay guys would like to bend over, getting their break in a smaller movie and then becoming huge stars, so I'm on the lookout for more of that. And then here's a more realistic uh, movie, uh, Air is on Amazon Prime, so I think most people have Amazon. And that's the story of Nike and Michael Jordan, and it's supposed to be really good. So there you go. Go watch Go watch Air. Air comes out May 12th. Twitter handle, at Anti-Woke Podcast. Please tell a friend about this podcast, and thanks for listening.